listening to Jigsaw Politics. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Jigsaw Politics. I'm Michael Smedley here with Kyle Shearer, and let's dive into this week's episode. We're going to be talking about vaccines, the process behind them, what they have to go through to get widespread approval before they can be distributed, and how that impacts the coronavirus situation, as well as some issues with the vaccine that aren't really the vaccine itself. We've got a lot to get through. Let's get started. Yeah, there's been a lot of good news recently about vaccines, and that's, you know, um, you know, Pfizer and Moderna have been saying that that um, theirs are very effective, um, and BioNTech's also involved with the Pfizer one. Um, so they're saying that the Pfizer one's more than ninety percent effective at this point, and Moderna's um, is supposed to be ninety four and a half percent effective according to their early data. Those are two of of I believe six vaccines now that are towards the end of their clinical trial phase, and are seeking FDA approval so they can start actually vaccinating people. Um, and their hope is that this is going to happen by the end of the year to get that approval. Um, I believe, um, I think it's Pfizer even has a hearing like on Friday at the FDA to try and get themselves fast-tracked due to the emergency um, that is COVID. So there's a lot of positive um, news coming about a vaccine. And it seems like um, starting sometime, hopefully in early 2021, we will start getting to vaccinate people and make that happen um, throughout the year. And that, you know, hopefully by this time next year, we'll be back to a much more normal life and you'll be able to actually make normal plans with your family for Thanksgiving. So that's all good and well. But there are issues to consider in terms of the vaccine distribution, first and foremost, um, and making sure that we can actually get it out to people. Because the reality is basically everybody on the planet needs to be vaccinated because this has really gone everywhere. And also, I think just trying to vaccinate everybody in the u.s alone is going to be an undertaking that is second to none right because on the first degree you have all of those people all of us need to be able to get into a doctor's office or some other place to have the the vaccine administered so there's all that scheduling and trying to figure out um from a supply chain side and a supply demand side what the most popular sites are where it needs to be concentrated and all of that. And along with that comes the shipping network. And this isn't something as simple as mailing out millions of vaccine vials on a UPS truck or overnighting it because most of these vaccines have to be stored at freezing below freezing temperatures. And they're not all the same. Different companies are requiring that their vaccines be stored at different temperatures. So now you need to figure out um, what trucks are capable of um, what temperatures and what brands or what companies vaccines can be supported and where they're going and all of that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Moderna's vaccine, which could be easily be one of the ones that is the front runner. Um, they require for long-term storage has to be negative um, four degrees Fahrenheit, negative four degrees Fahrenheit. And then it's um, only stable for 30 days when it's between 36 and 46 degrees Fahrenheit. So the other thing, too, is that when there's changes of temperature as they're moving the vaccine to different vehicles or buildings, that um, always creates a chance for it to um, go bad. Um, they're very fragile things, essentially. And even in producing and manufacturing it, you have to make sure you're consistently making quality batches of it. So oftentimes they can make a bad batch in a distribution center. And by the way, there's only 
it's a limited number of places that can actually, you know, distribute and produce vaccines um, from a manufacturing standpoint. And then those all get sent to like regional warehouses that are all um, refrigerated and so they can keep everything cool for a long time. And then they usually go on trucks of some sorts or depending how far they're going, maybe an airplane to, to be distributed. So it's, there's a lot of, of chains in the link to get, to get it to specific places. And once it sits in the regional warehouse and storage, then it still has to get to a clinic or a hospital or a pharmacy or, or you know, what have you. And then in that process, um, they still have to be able to get it into a fridge without damaging it. And then those places have a limited number of days that they can still use it before it goes bad. So trying to figure out who needs how many is a problem in and of itself. And that's going to be the biggest challenge with this vaccine, um, as in my opinion, because, you know, we are all vaccinated for things routinely um, growing up, but they're not in extreme high demand, right? Those vaccines are kind of scheduled that, okay, like when you're 10, you get this one. And when you're 12, you need these two. So it's pretty staggered. So the supply is able to keep up and it's a pretty stable demand that's um, coming in for those vaccines. The entire country and the entire world are going to try to get this one vaccine at the same time. And like you were talking about, it is so delicate and fussy with what temperature it can be kept at. So now we need to figure out we can't just up the quantity of shipping it because once we do that, we run out of warehouse space that can get um, that's temperature controlled very quickly. So in addition to being creative with the shipping networks of the vaccine, we're going to need to get very, very creative with how we're storing um, the vaccine before it is being injected into people, like you said, because it has such a limited window once you bring it up to above freezing. Even with a lot of doses that are out there, it's going to take a long time to actually administer all of those to, you know, try and get an appointment to get this thing is going to be a real, a real pain. Um, and it's gonna, just going to take us a long time to get everybody through there. I think the wait lines to get one are going to be nuts. Um, I, you know, it's kind of going to be like trying to buy a PlayStation 5 right now. Everybody's <laughs> struggling to do that. So that's, you know, if you're trying to buy a PlayStation 5 right now, this is probably a great practice for getting your COVID vaccine next year. Because um, I think it's going to be crazy trying to actually get them. And then you also have this, this like, question of who gets to have them first and where are they available. There's been some theories that because um, the research right now um, is showing that people cannot contract coronavirus twice or it's, you know, happened on such an infinitesimal level that's not worth um, thinking about, um, that maybe people who have already had it should kind of be at the end of the line to get it because theoretically they can't re-get it, so there actually might be some herd immunity involved. Um, but then even just if you're trying to figure out who's had it and who hasn't, that's uh, also a pretty substantial logistical challenge to make sure that you're getting all the right people first. Um, there's a lot of data to manage and a lot of logistics to manage. And you know, and you think Moderna's vaccine's bad, that has to be at like negative um, 4 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, try Pfizer's. It has to be at minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit or lower. So, you know, keeping a vaccine that cold for that long is not going to be easy. There's concerns of like dry ice shortages and all kinds of other stuff. So it's, it's going to take a long time, I have a feeling. Yeah. And that's something that, um, going back to who's going to get it first, that people have been talking about a ton is, should we be giving it to anybody in like a high density cities like New York and LA, or should we be spreading it out and giving it to a population like the entire elderly population across the United States? It's those kind of things that we're going to need to see, um, what 
the government decides and what policymakers decide. But then you kind of get into this thing where there are certain um, colleges require that you have certain vaccines to be able to live in a dorm. And I'd be very interested to see, because I think the COVID vaccine, a lot of schools are going to want their um, on-campus students to have. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how quickly schools start requiring this and how far to the back of the line college students get pushed. Yeah, I think it's going to be especially true for public schools. They might say, you know, I could see a situation where next year they're saying if you want to come to school in person, you have to have the vaccine. If you can't get it, you're going to end up being online. I think for a lot of people, it'll be that they just can't get it in time. I, I want to be optimistic because the vaccines really are the light into the, the tunnel for this thing. Um, but the whole process of trying to vaccinate an entire country, and then by extension of that, an entire planet, um, that that's a lot to do. And I am concerned that's going to take a long period of time. So I don't want to necessarily just play the pessimist here, but I wouldn't necessarily get your hopes up that like you're going to be going to the beach in, in July and not having to worry about anything. Uh, I think there's still a long way to go on all of this. And, and, you know, it's, we have to try and prevent all of this, all of these vaccines from not going bad as well. Because um, according to the World Health Organization, about half of vaccines that are distributed around the world go to waste. Um, and it's usually in large part because of a failure to properly control um, the temperature around them. And the vaccines that we're talking about for COVID here, um, you know, those extremely low temperatures, they're a little lower than other vaccines have been in the past. Um, so not everybody necessarily has a freezer that goes to negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit, especially in more developing nations uh, and more rural places. So trying to get this out there is going to be very interesting. And you know, they even had some trouble doing it with Ebola, and that was localized to a region of Africa. Um, but they had limitations there because they didn't have enough freezers that could handle the capacity and the temperature they needed and so they had to bring more in and that could be in a problem on a much more global scale this go around um trying to get other countries vaccinated because also the more the world's vaccinated the more the safer we all are so we also have to think about um all the other countries let alone the challenges of vaccinating the united states i don't even want to think about what negative 94 degrees is you know something like negative fours is cold but it's something that a lot of us, at least that live in the Northeast, have dealt with and something that we could easily obtain with dry ice or probably, honestly, most of our freezers at home, if we needed to, could get down somewhere near there. Negative 94, though, that's cold. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. Yeah, so and it's all to keep it, um, to keep the contents of the vaccine from expiring, which is great, but it's going to make it very hard when it has to stay that cold for the entire time um, to, to get it places. It's the theme of 2020, isn't it? Every time we think we have something figured out, there's something out of left field. Yeah, and if if you think that's bad, too, um, a lot of manufacturers are saying that you're you're likely going to need more than one dose of the vaccine, as you often do with things like that. Um, And so if you have to get two doses, let's say, then the supply chain managers have to make sure that if you got your first one, there's usually a window of time for you to get your second one meaning that you're going to have to make sure that you have a second dose available, because sometimes the first dose and the second dose are different in their makeup. So trying to make sure you have the right ones available in the right places, that is not a puzzle that I want to solve. That's a whole new meaning of jigsaw politics right there. I think what we need is all of the tour managers from bands and shows that 
normally do all of the logistical work that can't do anything right now because no one's going anywhere. I think all of them need to start working on this logistical puzzle. Yeah, I, I like that. I think we should um, maybe do a special called Jigsaw Vaccines. And we'll, we'll, we'll interview all the people that are trying to figure this out. Because I'm sure they are smarter than I am. I don't think they'll have time on their plates for the next five years. Well, yeah, there's also that. I also just am concerned that um, that this is going to be well-funded enough. Because basically, there's going to be a certain ratio of time and money here to make all this happen. Um, and Operation Warp Speed, which is the government's um, vaccine development plan, wants to have 300 million doses produced by January. Which I think is pretty unrealistic. Because now, granted... They're already producing the vaccines that are in the final stages. If they get approved, they can just start shipping them out immediately. Um, so hopefully they actually get approved. If not, that's going to end up being a waste of money. Although I do think it's smart to have some ready to go if it does get approved. But, you know, Operation Warp Speed has approved $10 billion to make the 300 million doses by January. But meanwhile, like Pfizer and Moderna are saying that they can probably get like maybe 22 million done by January, and they're hoping to be up in the hundreds of millions by springtime. So there seems to be a disconnect there between what the government's saying that was going to happen and what the actual manufacturers are saying is going to happen. And if I were to um, hedge a bet, which one's more accurate? I'm going to guess the vaccine manufacturer is a bit more in tune with what's going on. And all of this hinges on these companies, Pfizer and Moderna, getting FDA approval this week. Well, at least in the case of one of them, we still have a couple that are waiting um, approval pending. But still, all of this needs to happen in, we're talking like a time frame of days. We don't, not weeks, not a month and a half. This is coming down to days. Yeah. That all of this is hinging on. Right. Well, at least they're ramping up the production to millions. Um, that's new. But I also worry that, you know, you have the whole money and the time side of it, right? And that's one thing. But then you also have the supplies side of it. You know, the vaccine industry produces a lot of vaccines every year. But again, this issue of scale with trying to do the entire planet means that securing the supplies, because they need special glass vials to um, hold the vaccine in, because, you know, the temperature extremes, you can't just use any old vial for that. There's specific types that you have to use. Um, and then you also have to seal them properly. Um, and you also have to make sure that you have all the other tools that you need, needles to administer it and all these other things. And there's concerns that at the scale that we're trying to produce is that, which is, here comes the buzzword, unprecedented, that there's going to be shortages of things. So even if, you know, Pfizer can produce enough of the vaccine, if they don't have a way to package and distribute it, that's kind of a problem. So that if the, it's more than just funding the the manufacturing, funding, the freezing of it, and making sure it all gets to the right place, you also have to have a, a glass of oil to put it in before you can put it into a person. And we have to also be careful that we, yes, COVID is priority number one right now, but we can't drain the system with COVID vaccines because that means other things that we need, like other routine vaccines that we're supposed to be getting are going to fall by the wayside, and then we could be seeing other other illnesses popping back up on massive scales if we're not able to get those vaccines because we're devoting all the supplies to COVID. Yeah. So in short, it's a it's a balancing act. It's the balancing act of the century. It is. And you know, this all sounds very pessimistic, but the good news is that 
you know, in terms of a timeline for developing a vaccine, this really was Operation Warp Speed. Um, the fact that this, that, that COVID-19 became a significant threat um, and started spreading rapidly really less than a year ago, um, and that we're already talking about having another vaccine, you know, a one-year turnaround period is, is actually rather impressive. So also, like, a congratulations is kind of in order. I don't want to say it's too prematurely because these vaccines also could still fail. But I would say the fact that we were at this point, um, a congratulations is in order for all the people that have worked so tirelessly to make that happen. It's truly impressive and certainly inspiring that maybe we're going to get through this and you can kind of finally see the light at the end of the tunnel, which, at least for me, has been very comforting this week. And going back to um, what we were talking about with these companies producing mass batches of the vaccines, even though they haven't been approved yet. Just because if in theory, if they weren't to get approved by the FDA doesn't mean that other countries won't um, authorize them for use. So I actually don't think that's a terrible idea that even if they don't get approved here in the FDA, there are certainly other countries that could jump on them and approve them there and get it, um, get it moving over there. And maybe the FDA would approve it later once they're able to see more results from other places in the world using it. Yeah, and yeah, I think I think the FDA could certainly see another country using it effectively and then change their mind about it. Um, you know, we tend to have stricter laws about that stuff than other countries do, and it usually requires a more robust process. Um, and they are right now seeking the fast track approval. So there's no guarantee they'll get the fast track approval, but the good news is that in the meantime, while they're waiting for it, they are still manufacturing it. I think it's also worth saying that, you know, Moderna, to add a little context to what that company is, they're a fairly small um, business that's out based in Massachusetts. They've never actually brought a vaccine, like, forth before. They've never actually produced a vaccine and sent it, sent it to market before. Um, so they, there's feelings that maybe they've just been kind of conservative in their estimates based on how many doses they're going to do because they've never done this before and they really picked the time to join the rat race that's for sure but um they have been receiving a lot of money from the federal government to develop and manufacture more doses um so the, the they they're in that boat they've said they can probably have about 20 million doses by january so that's that's good to know because we'll start jumping on this pretty quickly um and the infection rates will only start to go down the more people get vaccinated so that's all it's all good and well, but, you know, it's one of those things like, okay, Moderna has never actually brought a vaccine out. They've never released one before. So it's also one of those things that's like, this isn't really exciting, um, but also take it with a grain of salt. And another area where all of this, of course, gets kind of gray is at the end of the day, the vaccine industry is still an industry and they, they have protections that um, are applied. I'm pretty sure that you can patent um, a vaccine. So what that means is other companies like Johnson and Johnson that were in clinical trials earlier, um, a couple months ago and ended up halting their clinical trials just because companies like Moderna and Pfizer bring one to market. They don't necessarily have to share all of those details with other companies like Johnson and Johnson, which means that we could still have pharmaceuticals that are ready to produce vaccines and have the equipment, but they're still stuck in the R and D phase. So with the pandemic that's affecting the entire world it'll be interesting to see if some of these big biotech companies are willing to put profit aside and maybe not give other competitors the formula but maybe help them on their way to develop one that we can get all of our labs and um, manufacturing facilities up and running at full capacity 
yeah, that, that will be interesting to see how all this unfolds. Um, it's also going to be interesting just to see, you know, how we go about paying for this um, in the American healthcare system. I remember we did an episode way back when COVID was still a pretty new thing about um, what it was like for testing and who was paying for the testing and people were getting some noxious bills to get a COVID test and all this crazy stuff. So I think there's going to be some fiascos relating to the way our healthcare system works and getting this vaccine distributed, undoubtedly. Um, and, you know, the, the all these, basically, I think the big takeaway here is there's just a lot of moving parts and pieces to this, and it's going to require, well, the news that we've been hearing is great and progress is being made. You really have to take it with a grain of salt because there's just so many different things that can still go wrong. And, you know, a lot of these companies, like Pfizer was saying, at the, the by the end of this year, they're hoping to have hundreds of millions of vaccine doses, like, right now or in the next month. And that's obviously not going to be the case at this point. So these numbers change a lot. Um, the narrative changes a lot. And, you know, it's just going to keep evolving. We're going to have to kind of wait and see. Because, you know, right now Pfizer's saying they could have 1.3 billion doses by the end of next year. That seems kind of high to me, uh, personally. And so these numbers change around a lot about when it's going to happen and how many doses there are going to be. So the news is great, but also COVID levels are rising like crazy in the U.S. right now. So we have to just hunker down a little longer and just kind of wait out this vaccine. But we are now about due for a break. So we're just going to take a quick pause and hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. And welcome back to Jigsaw Politics. We're here to continue our discussion about vaccines and COVID-19. Um, we just talked for quite some time about um, the progress and the limitations and the challenges that vaccines are going to be facing right now. Um, but now we want to turn our attention to the disturbingly high numbers of cases across the U.S., especially in a few states um, in particular, and that we are now kind of going back down into a shutdown, especially with the holidays approaching, um, and just kind of talk about what's going on now, because we seem to be going backwards. At the same time, we're going forwards with the vaccines. Yeah, so we've got all of these vaccines that are on the horizon looking good as long as um, things keep on their current course. But what does life look like in the meantime? We are seeing a lot of new restrictions that are um, reminiscent of March, April, and May. Um, especially in the state of Pennsylvania, um, in Philadelphia, Mayor Kenny just announced that Philadelphia will suspend in-person dining starting actually today when this episode releases and things like gyms will also not be able to open. He's also urging, um, 
the surrounding counties around Philadelphia to follow suit and do the same thing. Yeah, other states and cities are doing similar things. Um, Minnesota just shut down all of their bars and restaurants for four weeks as well. Um, New York City's schools are about to close again as the virus is increasing. Um, and then there's there's other news that hospitals are just being overwhelmed. Um, there's a lot of, of talk of just ICU units in big cities and big hospitals just being overrun with patients. Even now, like hospitals have been have been using chapels, cafeterias, waiting rooms. Um, they've even converted parking garages into patient treatment areas. So they're all struggling to make all this work on a daily basis. So, if, you know, people need to realize that this is like just as serious as it was back in the spring, if not more so now. Because um, hospitals are truly overrun, so if you can do things that, you know, will prevent the spread, um, or at least not do things that will encourage the spread, uh, if you look at it that way, that'd be great. Because um, especially when it comes to the holidays, we all know Thanksgiving is super important to people, and so is Christmas, um, and also Hanukkah and other holidays that are celebrated in this season. But now is not the time for large family gatherings, unfortunately. Um especially in places that are being the most affected. I've been looking at um, Ohio's numbers because Governor Mike DeWine just imposed a curfew in Ohio from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. If you look back, so looking at Ohio, if you look back to July, you know, the number of, of um, tests that were being done has kind of been slowly increasing um, basically since the beginning of this in Ohio. Um, but then there's a curve of sort of the... Um, the seven-day percent percentage of positive cases. And it was sort of slowly going down throughout July into August into September. And then about October 8, it started curving back up. And now since like mid, mid to late October, it has basically doubled the positivity rate, and they are now sitting at 12.8% statewide. And additionally, all the counties in Ohio are seeing a very um, high level of incidence with COVID per a tweet sent out by Governor DeWine, uh, and he said that every single county in Ohio, every single one, is at least two times what the high incidence level um, is that is set by the CDC. So things across the country are not trending in a particularly great direction right now. And now we're getting to the point where a lot of schools are going to be sending their students um, off campus to go home. Luckily, at Penn State, they're providing complimentary pre-departure testing um, so that we at least have an idea of who has it and who doesn't so that if you are negative, you can proceed on your way. And if you come back positive, Penn State is coming up with plans to help you um, isolate and quarantine before you return home. But we are sending people, we are moving a ton of people around the country in mass quantities right now. And that's only going to contribute to the spread of COVID. Even, you know, even if you leave campus and you're negative, if you have to fly home, you're now on a plane with a bunch of people. If you have a layover, you're now in another airport and another plane with a bunch of people. And the, the variables and the factors just grow exponentially from there. Yeah, I think now is a really good time as we're looking at all this happening um, to consider what actually is contributing to the spread of COVID and then what is not. I think what we assume would be a dangerous activity versus a non-dangerous activity um, sometimes is different than what it actually what actually um, does equate a dangerous activity. I was not sold on the idea for a long time that... Um, we could safely have in-person classes in a classroom at school. And 
you know, at least here at Penn State, there's been very little evidence that classroom transmission has been a key um, component into spreading COVID. And so there's a lot of things that we can still do, and there's a lot of things that we can't. And I really don't think, you know, it might seem like it's an okay thing because like, oh, it's with my family. I know they take COVID seriously or whatever. But if you get even a dozen people together in the room, um, with the positivity rates that we're seeing in some cities and states right now, there's actually a better than average chance that out of like a dozen people, one of them could have COVID. Um, and then all of you could get COVID and then, you know, it spreads to relatives and then to, to further to other people. And I was, I've seen a graphic that's been appearing on Instagram recently. It was like, what, a bunch of people went to a party and one of the people had COVID and then it spread, just from that party, it spread like over 100 people and a couple of them died and none of the people that actually died were actually at the party to begin with. Um, so, you know, if you're having gatherings and then COVID gets spread th through the community, um, through your party or through your holiday gathering, it literally could kill other people potentially um, who were doing the right thing. This is a really great time to kind of collectively come together. Because like we said in the first half, you know, the vaccine is coming. Um, it's been a really, really freaking long year. But, um, you know, we have sort of an end game to work towards now. So hopefully that will um, encourage people to keep doing the right thing. I know it's kind of given me some more encouragement to keep this up. because um, It has been a long time. So I am the forever optimist. And while things were getting crazy during um, the, the days and weeks leading up to Election Day, I had my countdown going of days until we didn't have to watch election ads, which thankfully has passed and it's phenomenal. Um, but my upside for this holiday season is Black Friday because, yes, some people, myself included, enjoy getting up sometimes to go out at the crack of dawn to go stand in line with a whole bunch of other people to get deals. Well, this year you get to do all of that from your bed in your pajamas with your hot coffee or your hot chocolate or your hot tea, and you can wait in virtual line while you watch things on TV. You can watch um, holiday movies. You can watch non-holiday movies. You can do things that aren't standing in line with a whole bunch of people in the freezing cold, possibly the rain, waiting for stores to open. Yeah, you know, as much, as much fun as the holiday season is, I honestly, sometimes it gets exhausting. It's cold. Um, there's a lot going on. I always have, like, a whole list of things I'm going to do in the holiday season, both fun and productive. I never finish it. And it's not necessarily due to lack of motivation, although that's certainly part of it. Um, but it's also partially because you just end up doing a lot of things. Um... So this is a chance for a more relaxing holiday season and to just take a different approach to things. And there's there's things you can do. We found ways to keep ourselves busy throughout the spring and summer. Um, I saw a lot of cool things popping up online, cool initiatives, people teaching skills, master classes. This is another period of time where there's be a lot of people um, kind of just hunkering down. And I think we can find ways to make the most of it. I really do. And also going back to Thanksgiving, well, less people at a Thanksgiving dinner means more pie for all of us that are there. So stay in small gatherings, treat yourself, eat some more pie. That's my takeaway. Amen. More turkey for me. And, you know, once the holiday season is indeed over, um, I don't think the cases will necessarily be in a steep decline. Um, so I think a lot of universities and public schools are going to have some really tough decisions to make. And also governors um, are going to have some tough decisions to make about what to do um, as we look into the new year and as we get closer to a vaccine, hopefully. 
and you know we've we've done a numerous episodes discussing um you know universities reopening during covid and despite all of the um hurdles and challenges a lot of schools have done a pretty decent job of doing it um and and staying open others have not and there's various different factors that have played into that, that we've discussed in previous episodes but now they're going to have to decide if they can stay open um in the spring and is and if what happened in the fall was adequate and i think knowing how many cases there are in the community now you basically what we've learned at penn state is that the classroom stuff is fine um the university sponsored activities have all been going pretty well but people are making a lot of irresponsible decisions on the weekends um that have led to the spread of covid and so now you have to kind of make the decision about how much the university um is responsible for that knowing that their decision will impact the number of cases in the community and in the county and that the medical center has to face and to what extent they're responsible for people potentially going out and partying um because they know it's going to happen so they can you know they can say not to all they want they know it's still going to happen regardless so it raises some questions it does. And again, we have all of these variables that we've been analyzing over the past however many months about cases and correlation rates between cases increasing in on-campus classes and in-person classes and this and that and the other thing. We're going to get a whole nother variable again. On January 20th, 2021, the Biden administration is going to take over. And we know that the Trump administration has been extremely hesitant to share details or work together with the Biden administration for a smooth transition of power on January 20th. So Penn State starts up again on January 19th, which is the day before Inauguration Day. So it's quite possible that under the Trump administration, a bunch of schools under the current guidelines could decide, hey, we're going to try in person again. We're going to try this model again. Public and um, high schools across the country can decide this is what we're going to try in person, hybrid. And then on January 20th, when the Biden administration takes over, it's feasible that he could instate way stricter policies or way looser policies in the Trump administration that are 180 degrees out of phase of what a lot of schools have chosen to do. Yeah, I suppose that's possible. I think if anything, it'll be stricter, but also um, hesitant. I was thinking more willfully defiant. Um I have now kind of lost faith that Trump's going to admit that he lost the election. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I think it's actually going to be, um, once he's removed from the White House, either voluntarily or by force um, with the Secret Service, I think it's going to become a, a campaign talking point for him. And I think because of that, um, yeah, he's not going to transition power very easily. Um, and I think the transition team for Biden's going to have a real time trying to get themselves set up for the Biden administration um, to take charge. Which, you know, trying to contest the election is one thing, but doing this is just in nobody's best interests. Even if you don't like Biden, even if you didn't vote for Biden, um, even if you think the election was rigged, if he's the guy that's going to be taking over on January 20th, um, you'd like him to be able to run the country. Um, that's just in everybody's best interests, regardless of who sits in the Oval Office. So, yeah, hopefully there's not this massive pivot in 180. Um I think there will be to an extent just because of the difference between Biden and Trump is pretty vast, um, regardless of what the transition is like. But yeah, I think there's there's going to be a, an interesting disconnect between the two administrations in terms of COVID-19 just in general, because they have two different philosophies on how to handle it. 
and there's not much of a smooth transition happening. So it, it could really feel like a cut and dry. Okay, and now it's biting time. Yeah, so we'll um we'll see what it looks like for schools coming out of um the holidays and into mid late January. Honestly, my personal opinion is if cases keep trending the way they are and we're going into the holiday season, I don't know that a lot of at least um uh elementary, middle and high schools are going to be able to sustain an in-person model come the spring. I think universities might have a better shot at it because they're not really held to as much of the same rules as public schools, but I, I, I don't see public schools coming back to in-person after, after the new year. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you, especially it seems like public schools shut down, like you said, so much faster than a university does. It takes a lot less to send them over the edge. And part of that's just an issue of scale. You know, if you have 20 cases at, um, at Penn State versus at the local high school, it's a very different situation because local high school has a lot less people, so 20 cases is a much higher percentage of the student body. Um, I also, my take on the philosophy, at least um, here, I think it's been the case at a lot of schools, is that, you know, the university is like, well, as long as what we're doing ourselves, that's the university sponsor stuff, isn't contributing to the spread of COVID-19, as long as we're testing people and, you know, spending money to impose safety regulations, then we've done our part. And... They're not going to shut down because students are throwing parties on the weekends and being irresponsible and inconsiderate, you know, on their own time, um, unless it gets to a pretty dire situation. Because despite it working out pretty well here, we still had thousands of cases. Um, it was bad. Just it in, was really bad. Yeah, it was still thousands just in the student body alone. And you know, doctors in, are coming out and saying um, that people who have had COVID in the spring, you know, that survived it still have symptoms and side effects, like right now, today. And some people are going to have, you know, an impact and a long-lasting side effect that will that will um, stay with them for the rest of their life. So this is certainly no joking matter, and certainly not worth a college party. And I know a lot of people were joking around here, at least um, in the beginning of the school year, to your point, oh, I should just get it so that I get the antibodies and I can't get it again. But now we're seeing all these long-lasting conditions. We've seen extremely extremely prominent football players having to retire because they did all the right things and still got it and now they have um conditions that just they can't keep up with in a sport like football we've seen baseball players in the major leagues who are at their prime and who are some of the most in shape and um highest performing people in the world having to walk away from professional sports because of the long lasting effects of covid so this really isn't something to joke about and it's really not something that we should be going, ah, I'll just get it to get the antibodies and deal with it later. Yeah, we have to take it seriously. It's it's getting it out of control again. Um, and, you know, it's it's pretty disappointing because at the end of the day, you know, I really think 50 years from now, we're going to look back on this and say, wow, we absolutely failed at this. It's just I, no one can sit there anymore to me and say, oh, well, this wasn't mishandled because they projected to be this many cases and it was actually this many, and the mortality rate's not that high. I'm sorry. If you sit back and you look at the positivity rates and the total caseloads and also how that relates to our hospital capacities in the U.S. versus other countries, it, it's not even close. You know, we have done a bad job of doing this, and that, and that all stems from the fact that individual actions make a difference. You know, they were saying that one, the Sturgis motorcycle rally over the summer caused like hundreds of thousands of cases just on its own. 
So that tells for one little motorcycle rally in one city, and I think it was like what South or North Dakota, one of those two. Um, if that can cause that many cases, then your little college party or whatever you're doing, or you know, unfortunately, your Thanksgiving dinner, um, could certainly spread a lot of cases to people who maybe you don't even know, but through the chain of of contact, it, it's crazy the way the virus spreads and moves around. It doesn't always make sense. Um. But what we do know is that larger gatherings of people just aren't aren't the move. So as we move into the holiday season again, enjoy yourself and make make smart decisions. And um, we will hopefully flatten this curve again and um, get to a point where we can be stable, where the vaccines are able to arrive and be distributed. So as we are just about ready to sign off for this week, we want to say thank you so, so much for being with us um, for another episode of Jigsaw Politics. We do want to let all of you know that um, next week, our episode would be coming out the day after Thanksgiving. We're actually going to take that week off um, to recoup and spend some much needed time getting ready for finals and all of that fun stuff. We will be back the first week, wow, of December. Somehow it's December already in what has been the longest year of my life. We will be back the first Friday in December with the next episode and um, be on the lookout on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages at Jigsaw Politics for some promotional content and some fun little clips in the meantime, um, instead of a full episode next week. Again, you can catch that on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages at Jigsaw Politics. And of course, if you haven't had your fix of Jigsaw Politics, you can always head over to our merch store, which will be linked in the show notes. It's really been a, it's, it's been a quite a ride. Um, this is our first week off since we started the show. Um, and we started, it's been, a lot of episodes now, so we want to thank all of you who have been listening in. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to do it, and I hope it's been informative as we just kind of engage in conversations about what's going on in the real world. So we'd love to hear from you guys, and uh, we really appreciate all of the support. If you really do enjoy the show, we'd love it if you shared it with some friends, let people know you're listening to it, and we'll try and grow our audience base and engage even more of you guys and keep encouraging these kind of um, conversations about what's going on in the world um, in a civil manner and also just make sure people stay informed. So until next time, we are just about out of time today. Again, thanks so, so much for being here with us and we will catch you next time on Jigsaw Politics. This has been Jigsaw Politics. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Jigsaw Politics. Jigsaw Politics is executive produced by Kyle Shear and Michael Smedley. Our show is edited by Kitty Mater, and our graphic design is by Annika Van Vlack. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio. Our music is done by Yakim Karud. We host our show on Spreaker Podcasting. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.